passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. This has been the longest day that I can recall. It feels like I've been awake for 40 hours right now. A lot has happened today in the uh, world of professional wrestling news. Yes. It's so busy. I don't even know if I have time to ask you how you're doing, Wei, but I'll, I'll make an exception and make sure you're doing okay. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time. How are you doing is more uh, important. I'm, I'm exhausted. I am, uh, it's, it's been a long day, uh, a very, very long day, but nonetheless, mm. we have lots to get into a very, very busy day in uh, professional wrestling news. We will get to dynamite. Uh, we're obviously going to dive into this, uh, giant Vince McMahon story. Uh, but I do want to alert uh, people that maybe missed the new show today. We did have Eric Young on the show. Very enjoyable chat with Eric Young talking about Slam Reversary this weekend, as well as his uh, shows coming up for Greektown Wrestling here in Ontario. And I-, I thought like a really interesting discussion, especially from his perspective of someone that uh, came up at a very different time in Ontario's independent wrestling scene and still part of, um, you know, coming up for these dates in, in a couple of weeks in Ontario, not based in Ontario any longer, but talking about the, the hardships of coming up as a Canadian that uh, we- we've talked about many times in in the past, but I, I found it to be a very a very enjoyable uh, discussion with Eric Young today. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was really grateful for the chance to speak to somebody, I think, so open and candid about everything. Uh, spoke a bit about the transition from NXT to WWE and uh, maybe even a, bit, uh, even a bit of venting that he had to uh, do for, to, to one Vince McMahon as well. So uh, a really interesting chat that I encourage everybody to check out on our YouTube. Yes, uh, you can go check that out now. YouTube.com slash post wrestling. Uh, so we're going to dive right into things. The major story today, and this could be uh, w- one of the biggest stories um, that anyone is going to be covering in terms of a pro wrestling related one. And that comes from the Wall Street Journal, who tonight uh, or uh, this afternoon, I should say, uh, dropped this bombshell report from reporters Joe Palazzolo and Ted Mann. Um, and I'm I'm going to be referring to uh, their article. It is behind um, a paywall. At the Wall Street Journal, I would definitely encourage people to check out the full uh, article in full. Um, there's some terrific reporting that uh, went into this. And uh, from the article, the board of World Wrestling Entertainment Inc. is investigating a secret $3 million settlement 
that longtime chief executive Vince McMahon agreed to pay to a departing employee with whom he allegedly had an affair, according to documents and people familiar with the board inquiry. Uh, the separation agreement is said to have been uh, – came about in January of 2022 involving a now former employee who was hired in 2019 as a paralegal and then allegedly uh, entered into a relationship with Vince McMahon. The board's investigation, which began in April, has unearthed other older non-disclosure agreements, including claims by former female WWE employees of misconduct by Mr. McMahon and one of his top executives, John Laurinaitis, the head of talent relations. Uh, the board's outside counsel was still collecting information about the other NDAs and did not have uh, the number um, that were out there, but that the payments totaled in the millions, uh, the people that they spoke to. The board's eight independent directors have retained a law firm uh, to conduct the investigation, um, which we'll, we'll get to as well. WWE has issued a statement internally um, that acknowledging that this investigation is taking place. Uh, the board's preliminary findings are that Mr. McMahon used personal funds to pay the former female employees who signed the agreements, including the one involving allegations against Mr. Laurinaitis, this person said. A WWE spokesperson said that the company, which runs the world's most famous wrestling business, is cooperating fully with the board inquiry and that the relationship with the ex-paralegal was consensual. He added that the company takes the allegations seriously and is dealing with them appropriately. And that, in essence, is what um, the, the internal uh, statement said. Uh, Jerry McDivitt sent a letter to the Wall Street Journal and stated that the former paralegal has not made any claims of harassment against Mr. McMahon and that, quote, WWE did not pay any monies to the ex-employee on her departure. Um, uh, other uh, facts that they uh, threw in here, uh, noting that the 12-member board of directors includes several executives and members of the McMahon family, including Vince McMahon, who is chairman, his daughter, Stephanie McMahon, who in this whole thing, she is always – she is – um a part of the board of directors, her husband, Paul Levesque, better known as the wrestler Triple H, WWE President Nick Khan. And uh, I have the full list in our story up on the site of all 12 uh, board members. And I mean, uh, th this first came about back in March 30th when an email was sent to board members alleging uh, that Vince McMahon initially hired this woman at a salary of $100,000, but increased it to 200000 after beginning a sexual relationship with her, the email to the board also alleged that Mr. McMahon, quote, gave her like a toy, end quote, to Mr. Laurinaitis. The board is investigating the allegations in the email. And um, uh, there's more here from uh, Jerry McDivitt here. Um, just about uh, that's more so just the uh, the history of him as well. So um, th there's more to this. Um, overall way, I mean, Number one is that this is certainly – it's a big story already. Um, it could be even that much larger um, depending on um, what is found here. Um, I think we also need to lean on uh, expertise in this field as well of what this would mean for um, uh, the board of directors that are um, – that they have ha uh, hired uh, a firm to investigate this. And what this could mean. Uh, Jerry McDivitt did outline that WWE did not pay any monies here, um, indicating that, you know, this was Vince McMahon that, that paid this. Um, but nonetheless, this is something, especially when you're talking about, um, a, a potential pattern of other non-disclosure agreements that are out there about potential claims that have been made. Um, this certainly could be a powder keg, uh, that we are only seeing, um, brimming and, and coming to a, a larger, uh, conclusion 
down the road when there are more discoveries made. This is a major story. Um, potentially, you know, the biggest of the year. Um, I, I mean, it's one that I think encompasses a whole lot. I mean, primarily is, you know, um, the fact that it's, um, it's, it's, it's the head of the, the major, uh, the foremost company in professional wrestling. Uh, not just that, but just, you know, a major media, uh, company in, in the world right now. One that, I mean, is very close to negotiations and, uh, with a lot of strife already, I think with, uh, Stephanie and with Triple H, um, now it's seeming like the head McMahon is, uh, under maybe the biggest scrutiny of all. Um, nobody in, involved in any sort of business in the world, um, likes to be maybe attached to, uh, any sort of like sexual allegation. Uh, and not that this is that, like, it, I mean, from what they say, the, the relationships were consensual. Nonetheless, it sounds like it was with an employee, which is a big no-no. Um, uh, you know, allegations that these raises, uh, came after the, uh, sexual, uh, relationship that Vince had. Um, it's, it's a really bad look, you know, and not to mention, of course, um, whether we don't know what sort of like relationship or, or I don't know, um, the the, the paralegal that the paralegal that is listed here, it's a consensual relationship. But then, as they said, they have unearthed other non-disclosure agreements uh, involving claims by former female employees of misconduct by Mr. McMahon and one of his top executives, John Laurinaitis. So that mm-hmm. is uh, deeply concerning. And I mean, uh, step away from just the, the infractions here that are alleged, we should underline. But at the same time, yes, this is coming at number one. This is uh, without question, like your most powerful uh, shareholder. This is the most powerful person in the company by leaps and bounds from number two. It is at a point when you are entering in what will be the the biggest media rights negotiations, the biggest business deal uh, in the history of the company coming up with these domestic deals. This is when you have countless uh, scripted and non-scripted projects built around Vince McMahon, who I was just looking at this the other day of like how many projects are built around Vince McMahon that are, are such a centerpiece uh, from the memoir that was reportedly being shopped around to the uh, the series about the steroid trial to the Netflix documentary series like Vince McMahon uh, in this whole let's monetize our IP was their most valuable IP. And uh, th- that's kind of like a uh, one element to look at it from, from th- this perspective. Um, but what this could grow into, um, th- this comes right after that Business Insider report that uh, 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 there was an insider from from the company that was uh, speaking anonymously to Business Insider. Um, certainly, there is going to be questions about how this made its way to the, to the press as well. Like you can certainly assume, like there is some kind of um, fight for power going on behind the scenes here of what we are seeing on the outside. Yeah. And did it have any influence on, um, you know, Stephanie McMahon's, you know, recent departure from, from the company as she is also a share, uh, a member of the board who would have been aware of, of this sort of investigation. They, they were, the board's investigation began in April. So that is when um, your, your mm-hmm. board members would have been aware with the email coming in March 30th is when it is listed here. So that's like the timeline. And just not to mention the fact that, you know, both of these men that were, are, are being, um, uh, you know, brought up in, in, in these articles and John Laurinaitis and Vince McMahon are both, uh, publicly, you know, married men. Uh, and again, we don't know what sorts of agreements that people might have in private, of course, but nonetheless, it's, um, 
when we're talking about much of these stories um, and when we're talking about stocks and things like that, I mean, much of it is PR related. And um, this is uh, about as big of a PR nightmare as I think this company could could have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw that uh, CNBC was uh, quickly picking this up. Um, I am sure that this is going to be a, a massive story tomorrow when other outlets are uh, doing follow up reporting on this and and what the next step is going to be if WWE as of right now, there has been no public statement. I certainly inquired. Um, but internally, like there was a there there was a um just a notice pretty much of the investigation. And that was reflected here in what they told the wall street journal. But um, this is as, uh, as prominent and public a figure as WWE is attached to. And one that I don't know if uh, just ignoring this is going to be possible for them. Um, This is, this is going to be a huge, huge story. And we've said that about a lot of things though, involving the WWE, you know, and and this will be a test. Like so often wrestling seems to exist in this sort of little niche pocket that the mainstream doesn't necessarily care about, or at least put as much scrutiny on as maybe some other things. And uh, will this, will this time be different? I mean, the media seems to love these sort of stories, right? Um, And is this going to be one that that, that they'll they'll be latching onto in in a significant way? Yes. Um, just some other notes here from the article. The directors received a copy of the $3 million agreement from one of Mr. McMahon's lawyers on June the 12th. So that was Sunday. Uh, one person familiar with the inquiry said the NDA provided an upfront payment of a million dollars to the former employee with the remaining $2 million to be doled out over a period of five years. Uh, the former employee had fallen on hard times before joining the company and spoke of needing extra money, said people who spoke with her while she worked at WWE. Um the former employee moved from the legal department in t- 2021 to become an assistant to Mr. Laurinaitis, according to the people familiar with the inquiry. Um, so, I mean, John Laurinaitis is very much at, at the center of this as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, we'll, we'll certainly. Um, I think it's a, it's a big question whether or not Vince survives this. But do you have um, a better guess as to maybe John Laurinaitis's future? I mean, I don't want to guess at this point because I think that you you do owe it to the parties that are accused to have their their defense, uh, their their say in all of this and be represented. Um, I I just I, I don't know. I would be I would be guessing at this. These are these are serious uh, offenses uh, if proven true, and 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 if so, um, certainly you would look at a at a John Laurinaitis as being a lot more expendable than a Vince McMahon. That it will take. I mean, that would be, be seismic. Um, we, we saw, I mean, th- this sounds silly in retrospect, but it gives you a sense of the, um, way that Vince McMahon is viewed when they did that angle. And there was people that believed he actually died in that, that limo explosion and the stock plunged and they had to really walk that back because of the idea of Vince McMahon not being at the forefront of this. And people can have whatever critiques they want of Vince McMahon, but to the, Outside world, it is one and the same. This successful company that is completely mm-hmm. in this man's vision uh, fr- from the time that that he bought it as Capital Sports from from his father in 1982 and and grew it into this and whatever mythology you want to attach to that, it is part and parcel the Vince McMahon vision and taking Vince McMahon away from that, um, it it completely changes the company and maybe we are getting ahead of ourselves, but maybe not as well. This is. Yeah. I would say like what you are looking at here is as serious, if not as more uh, in terms of threatening to his uh, leadership, this company going back to the steroid distribution trial. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when, when he was indicted. 
And does it encourage others who may have had these sort of experiences with um, these two people to come out to, you know, let, let the world know uh, about their experiences? Um, it's it's a big story. It's very much so. Like if, if other non-disclosure agreements exist and uh, they are seeing this story and seeing that um, one person was paid $3 million, um, they might feel, uh, they might feel the need to speak up if they realize that this is, if, if you're saying multiples and you're establishing a pattern here, uh, there, there may be people that are willing to speak up. Um, yeah, like it, it, it's so hard to look at what is going to happen to this, but this is gigantic. It's, it's huge. And I, I think that this is going to be one of the biggest stories, um, in this company's history, potentially, potentially. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue to follow this on Thursday. So Brandon Thurston, uh, will be joining us and he did a quick show on the WrestleNomics, uh, YouTube channel that if you want to go, uh, check that out, uh, kind of going over this, it's about a half hour in length. And then we'll chat with Brandon Thursday at 1 PM Eastern time. Uh, if you want to tune into that as well, um, it was not a great day for Vince McMahon because on top of that, um, there was apparently a nine minute settlement discussion, um, that led nowhere. And, uh, Vince McMahon and Oliver, Tr- uh, Oliver Luck, uh, apparently will be going uh, to trial here from a pro football talk. Former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck received a multi million dollar contract. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm skipping. Uh, okay. This is okay. Th- this is very long, but, um, Anyway, the long and short of it is that it looks like they are set to go to trial unless uh, uh, some some kind of settlement is reached before ha- that. So this is a uh, there's going to be a lot of Vince McMahon in uh, mainstream publications in the days and weeks to come. Yeah, and and for people not aware, it's this is regarding the XFL, right? Uh, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Luck is suing uh, Vince McMahon's uh, company for twenty three point eight million dollars in compensation from his. XFL contract and a trial date has been set for Monday, July the 11th. Okay. Well, so we, um, we could have a McMahon trial and the G1 happening the same week. Oh boy. And then, um, you know, a Netflix uh, dramatization of another trial that's starting Vince McMahon not long after that. So, geez. Uh, wow. This is a, uh, yes, it's been a, a crazy, crazy day. So, the, there, the, wrestling, that's the, the wrestling news cycle does not stop everybody. Okay. You think this this has story? been, this has been an exceptionally um, intense month when, when you look at everything, mm-hmm. um, you know, ver- varying degrees of severity in the, in the larger picture. But I mean, it was only a month ago that we were talking about the Sasha Banks, Naomi story. And that yeah, was like wow. months ago at this point. And that's how fast yeah. uh, things move. But this is, this is certainly at another level, this wall street journal story. So on that note, we are going to now uh, move on over to AEW's Road Rager event from the Chaffetz Arena in St. Louis, Missouri, which featured the uh, the updated main event with the ladder match minus the Hardys. Uh, no Matt Hardy on this on the show at all. Uh, I don't believe there was even any mention of the Hardys. It was just promoted as a straight tag team match between Jura- Jurassic Express and the Young Bucks, and it did go last, and they had a... Pretty thrilling, spectacular, frightening ladder match that we will get to. But starting things off was the hair versus hair match between Chris Jericho and Ortiz with William Regal on commentary. And it was a big match for Ortiz and thus the dead president's face paint. Yeah, I love it. You know, it's a big deal when the face paint comes on. 
Eddie Kingston and the Jericho Appreciation Society were in the respective corners. They brawled around the ring. We saw uh, Jericho go for a hurricane run off the turnbuckle that was turned into a powerbomb and just dropped Jericho. Uh, through the break we go. Ortiz misses a moonsault off the buckle into a code breaker for a near fall. Crowd is behind Ortiz as Eddie Kingston is pounding the mat. There's a Rana counter to the walls, and Ortiz fights and fights to the rope. Huge cheers when he reaches it. And then Kingston brawls with the Jericho Appreciation Society when Santana and Wheeler Yuta run down. And behind the referee's back, Eddie Kingston nails Jericho with the Urican. But unlike Joanna Janjacek, Jericho survived this. An incredible near fall as Ortiz could only get the two count. Crowd was losing it on, on that spot. When Fuego del Sol, we are led to believe, runs into the ring and behind the referee's back. There were a lot of behind the referee's back on this show and nails Ortiz with the baseball bat. She turns around. Jericho pins Ortiz. He hugs Fuego and he unmasks to reveal himself as Sammy Guevara and loud mm-hmm. chants of Sammy sucks. And later we would get confirmation of the reunion of Jericho, Sammy Guevara who are now in the Jericho Appreciation Society with Ty Conti as well. And maybe this was just the hard reset that Sammy Guevara needed. Uh, he went off on his own. It was a near disaster and let us go back to the role he is best suited for. Well, at the, at the beginning of all this, I mean, it, you know, they were pushing Sammy Guevara as a baby face. Obviously, that didn't work out. And you know what? At this point, he might be a hotter heel than he was even before. So why not pair him with one of the hotter heel factions and re- reuniting the Le- sex gods um, and throwing Ty Conti in there as well? You know, this a year a- ago, he was really ready for that babyface run. We're like winning blood and guts. And I mean, th- they certainly had a moment to catapult him. But um, we-, we went down a different path. So I would say for where Sammy Guevara is today, this is the best role for him. I certainly don't mind it, honestly. Um, I think um, it, it bolsters, you know, a Jericho Appreciation Society, gives some order to Sammy and uh, Ty. And yeah, I even like the reveal here because, you know, we all know masking as a luchador or masking in general and then revealing the, themselves to be somebody who, who we all thought um, was but isn't is a Chris Jericho move. So this is straight out of the Chris Jericho playbook. I, I really enjoyed it. The match itself I thought was Absolutely fantastic. I'm, I don't know if I've ever seen a hair versus hair match as the opener of a show. I did not but, think this was going to open the show. I really thought they were going to put Osprey and Dax in the opener spot. But uh, mm-hmm. no, we, we got the hair versus hair match. It, I mean, it, you could have put anything, honestly, in front of this crowd. This was such a hot crowd tonight. Mm-hmm. The noise was really unreal throughout the entire event. And uh, they, even though we didn't get the best build, I would say, for this particular match, they treated it as if it was like, you know, a major pay-per-view type of match. Ortiz is fantastic. As this sort of like, you know, brawling wrestler, like he, he he's just great. And I thought this really reminded, you know, a lot of people of just how good he was. Yeah, I mean, he really, to me, uh, st- stood out in this match. And you got a payoff with the with the hair stipulation. Like later in the show there, afterwards, Ortiz starts cutting his own hair as the fans are chanting his name. Kingston says he's a man of his word and then just has Ortiz scream over and over, blood and guts, blood and guts, blood as he, and guts. As he drew blood. Yes. By cutting his own hair, you know. Oh, man. It was quite the visual. Then there was a video for Wardlow and Mark Sterling with the People's Court theme underneath it. A very campy script. And that set up our Wardlow match. The 20-on-1 class action 
elimination match with the 20 plaintiffs. Yes. Yes. People's court, Judge Judy. Like, I, I don't watch those shows, but in that style, right? This was, uh, I used to watch the People's Court when it was, uh, Ed Koch was the, uh, was the judge. Yeah. Okay. All security get onto the apron and they go for Wardlow. Um, was it, was this Lexi Nair who was the, uh, the announcer? I think she was in for Justin Roberts. So was, wasn't it Dasha throughout the night? Oh, it was Dasha. You're right. Yeah. You're right. It was yeah. Dasha. Um, I could only hear the voice, but she was keeping track of all the security members by number and having to give updates when they were eliminated or at least was, trying to. I mean, it was, yeah, like she didn't have, not, they weren't individually numbered. You know, they were just like, here's the foot, third one. Here's the second one. Here's, or, or here's the fourth, fifth, like in, in order. She had to, but she did have to count. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, he just tossed dudes all over the place. He stacked them on top of one another. Um, you know, unique ways of eliminating large numbers of people. Um, just power bomb after power bomb, stacking them. Uh, one dude got power bombed onto the pile of people. This did not look fun at all. And the final stack was of six or seven guys. This whole thing went just over four minutes. Sterling's losing his mind in his uh, 1996 Jim Cornette blue and red outfit. And the announcer notes that the case is dismissed as Wardlow <laughs> is announced as the winner. And uh, and then we would get the, the post-match stuff. How did this come off for you? It was short. I mean, it's – I think you kind of have to, like, buy into the camp – of it all a bit you know the, I, i'm not watching there was this a lot with, of it yeah yeah i'm not necessarily watching this with like the same eye as um i don't know some of the more serious segments on the show like even that hair versus hair match for instance uh, i appreciated the visual of wardlow and the physical feat honestly of wardlow like delivering so many different power bombs the visual like they're they're trying to mimic i think all the best parts of this wardlow thing that we've been seeing for the past month and that's him just like taking on the putty patrol one by one, you know, one versus X amount of guys. Um, I don't know if it necessarily worked, you know, in this context because you had to really suspend your disbelief a little too much for, I think, people's taste on dynamite, you know, pins stacking with guys like not, not even shoulders, like touching each other. Like there are guys that had just their f stomachs lying on top of other people. Um, but you know, it was, there's a bit of fun. It was a bit of an interesting way to like change up from the usual Wardlow formula, put the spotlight on him pretty well. Um, but I can't really say it was a home run, maybe far from it. And certainly the, the closing angle, I didn't really like at all. Yeah. Afterwards, Dan Lambert and Scorpio Sky are in the private box. And Lambert says, if you mess with one member of ATT, you mess with all of us and draws attention to Matt Hughes and Tyron Woodley, both former UFC welterweight champions in the front row, and they hop the guardrail to enter the ring. Now, Matt Hughes, for people that are unfamiliar, was hit by a train several years ago. So, I mean, it's a miracle he is alive. So if you were seeing the way he was getting around, I, like that is very much the, the effects of, of that brain injury. Mm -hmm. And Wardlow, before they can make their move on Wardlow, uh, he states that Dan Lambert is a rich asshole and all of us are cut from the same cloth. And Woodley and Hughes seem to agree with this. And they just sent Sterling to the slaughter and he takes his power bomb, hopefully ending all of this. Like, I, I think that this has been, at least it appears to be a short detour for Wardlow, but a detour nonetheless, where it does feel that um, he's still hot. He's still over. But I, I just think like this program was um, 
a come down from MJF and not to me the, the follow up that was needed uh, coming mm-hmm. off of Dublin or Northern. Yeah, I, I took this to be the end of the Sterling paralegal program, you know, moving in. Like, I think Mark Sterling does great, you know, for for those types of roles. But Wardlow should not be doing, you know, one of these campy sort of things at this moment coming off of that MJF feud. And it's looking like he's moving on to Scorpio Sky for the TNT Championship, which is totally fine. This Matt Hughes, Tyron Woodley thing, though, um, I I did not like at all. I think it's one thing to like show respect, you know, to somebody like a Matt Hughes. It's another to like, you know, tease, hey, Matt Hughes, go get him. And having the guy like it was just incredibly awkward. It was a little bit uncomfortable. I, I um, would imagine there were a lot of people watching way that don't know that story about Matt Hughes. And were just confused at this guy who is getting around at like very like it's very difficult for him. To, like You can see like there there is an issue there. And mm-hmm. how many of your like that that happened a long time ago. It's not like this is someone who is featured regularly on UFC programming. Like there is a lot of people that would not be aware of that and would have been confused at this. I mean, I would have loved to have, you know, just like go into commercial break. Hey, we have UFC legend Matt Hughes here. Like, you know, have the guy stand up, like give him a round of applause for if they wanted to show respect. I mean, teasing the angle and then the way that they got out of the angle, I thought was even campier than maybe having one person beat up 20 people. I don't know if somebody like one of these writers watched the latest edition of Obi-Wan one or something and just had, you know, Wardlow instead of fighting with his weapons, uh, fight with his words. Um, and that's what he did. He, he used his words and his, um, ability to relate as working class citizens to convince Tyrone Woodley and Matt Hughes to turn on Dan Lambert just like that. Um, I know what they wanted to do. They wanted the, the, the you know, the, the, the picture, the closing visual at the end of Wardlow with these two former UFC champions. It was just a, a really corny way of getting there. And I don't necessarily think it, you know, it, it probably might have done more harm than good. You like to see him use his action rather than seeing Wardlow in action. <laughs> that is that is correct. Dax Harwood versus Will Osprey. Uh, this was pretty tremendous. Um, Dax is lighting this dude up with chops in the corner. Crowd was very hot for this. They they treated this like a special match right from the beginning. Like oh, they yeah. saw this as a big deal. Um, Osprey is just coming off the match with Sonata on Sunday. Uh, Dax goes for a vertical and, and coming off of a kidney infection three weeks ago. Well, you know how the news cycle works. I mean, you have a kidney infection, you you, you get over it real real quick. You know, yeah, this guy had like a hundred and four degree fever. I mean, it's it's crazy. And man, just living in an airplane, flying back and forth to Japan and America. Dax goes for a vertical suplex off the edge, but Osprey slides underneath and he catches Dax's knee in the ring skirt and drop kicks him into the steps. After the break, Dax hits a series of rolling Germans as the crowd is applauding on their feet, chanting AEW, and they go for the belly-to-back spot off the top, Will landing on top of him. Osprey then strikes him in the back of the neck, coming off the top for a two-count. Dax continually stops the Oscutter cutter while Will is avoiding the slingshot powerbomb, and then Will uh, gets turned around on the shoulders, and the slingshot powerbomb is hit for a two-count. They headbutt one another on all fours, Big inside-out lariat by Dax, and then a Liger Bomb counter by Will. Oscutter for a two-count, and he finishes Dax with the hidden blade in 13 minutes and 42 seconds. I thought a, a tremendous television match. Absolutely tremendous. Dax yeah. is having a year. He, um, you, you have to wonder if he might be in the conversation, John. We're, we're at the six-month mark. Um, yeah. He'd be, he'd be on the list of, like, wrestler of the half year. 
it's it really is incredible what he's been doing and i mean you know tony khan recognizes it the audience recognizes it because he, he they continue to put him in these opportunities to showcase himself and he's killing it every single time i thought um you know we watched dominion we talked about dominion i felt like it, Sonata versus Osprey was a good match, but we've certainly seen better, I think, from both of them. This, to me, felt like Will Osprey at 100%. Like, it was, it felt special, honestly, John. And, and it was, because it was Osprey's, I think, national American TV debut, I, I suppose. You can call it that. Um, and this crowd treated him like a star. This was probably the match that maybe most of us wanted last week instead of the uh, six-man. Uh, he felt He felt like one of the world's, top talents and I think lived up to the billing uh, just from this performance alone. So afterwards we see all of a sudden Ozzy opens in the ring, Jeff Cobb's in the ring, Great O'Conn's in the ring, Trent Barretta and Rocky Romero get in. Everyone is fighting and then we hear the Pixies and Orange Cassidy makes his return walking down the aisle. The ring clears save for Will Ospreay and we get the stare down. Move over Rock and Hogan, we get Osprey and Orange Cassidy. The match that everyone was fantasy booking for Forbidden Door. It was a given that this would be the singles match that you would get. And FTR and Rapongi Vice then stand alongside Cassidy. Will exits and the baby faces all do the thumbs up, including FTR. And later we would get the confirmation that it will be Orange Cassidy challenging Will Ospreay for the IWGP United States Championship in Chicago on June 26th. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, at the close of th- this segment, I thought for sure it was going to be a five on five, you know, heading into Forbidden Door, but maybe they'll just do that on TV leading up to it. Um, I'm sensing a little bit of disappointment maybe in, in, in your description, John, of, of Osprey versus Orange Cassidy, but not necessarily. I, I, I don't think it's the, um, the big sing. If you were going to tell me Osprey is going to have a singles match against an AEW performer, mm-hmm. I don't know if Orange Cassidy is going to be in your first five, maybe not even like seven, uh, choices. Sure. I think they're going to have, <laughs> I think it's going to be an awesome match. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't discredit that. It's, uh, it, it's a different match you're doing. Um, I don't know. How, how did you feel about it? I, I, I was happy with it because I think it, it very much fits into the theme of having, you know, somebody that, that has been very associated with AEW against somebody who's very associated with New Japan Pro Wrestling rather than having, you know, like Will Ospreay versus Lance Charter or something, you know, like or, or a rematch of something that we've seen before. At least to my knowledge, we have never seen Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy. And it's one of those matches where anytime you have Orange Cassidy against a notable wrestler, you're thinking, how is this match going to look? And I think that's certainly the case here. We know Orange Cassidy can go um, in between, you know, all the comedy stuff, which I think is also fun, too. So I, I, I'm actually looking forward to it. Maybe it's not the match I'm looking forward to the most on this show, but um, it's it's one that I think is worthy of the spot. Yeah, not going with the uh, the chance to do the match they couldn't do at a uh, spring break and do Orange Cassidy and Minoru Suzuki. Man, is Suzuki even going to be on the show? Oh, he yeah, is. Yeah. He was announced. Never mind. You're right. Yes. Yeah. We're getting ahead okay, of ourselves. We'll, we'll get to that. So that was the setup there. Then it was a, a promo with Moxley and Tanahashi and Moxley listing off all the New Japan guys he's gone through since 2019. Tanahashi is the biggest one that he's hunted. And we get comments from Kevin Kelly here, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, and Moxley calling himself the best wrestler on earth. So that blends into the face-to-face segment. Moxley and Tanahashi come out and the crowd is chanting holy shit at the two sharing the ring. Moxley cuts a great promo. He's been chasing him for a long time on bullet trains in Japan into empty warehouses in L.A. There are many titles and championships and tournaments in this industry. I'll say 
But okay. there's only one ace in wrestling. And says that Tanahashi is an inspiration to many, including himself. And you're the ace, but not for long. And says, I am the best pro wrestler on this planet. And a lot more is on the line than just this interim title. Everything I've worked for over the past three years is at stake. I play for keeps. And when the dust settles, you will call me ace. Fantastic, fantastic promo from John Moxley. Great. Might have been my favorite of the entire show. And you and I, of course, John, just reviewed a John Moxley promo, or should I say a Dean Ambrose promo, from Money in the Bank 2016. And what a far cry, okay, from that person who, I mean, let's be honest, like, even in the WWE under that, like, that sort of scripted format, he's probably one of the better ones. But nothing like what we're hearing right now. You know, like everything that he said felt like so deep from just really honestly within. And he's also laying the foundation for that CM Punk match already. He's calling himself the best in on earth. Is that best what he on said? Earth. Be- best wrestler. First, he said best wrestler on earth and then best wrestler on the planet. But yeah, I definitely picked up on that, too. Yeah. And and saying how a lot of people are just pretending. So um I mean, a bit of a teaser about maybe who's going to win, but nonetheless, still, this is a professional wrestling at work by, by a master professional wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, they, they set up a lot here. This was like, this felt like your main event segment to set up a pay per view main event. And that wasn't and, all. There, there was a lot here. And, and just one more thing. He did such a, and the announcers, but like I would say Mox, maybe because he had the biggest voice. He did such a great job of making Tanahashi seem like a legend. Yeah. You know, this crowd was already treating him like that. But to have Mox basically say, you are the person I've been chasing at the end of this tunnel. It just kind of made all those cheers that much more justified to somebody who might not know who Hiroshi Tanahashi is. Um, uh, Some of the best treatment I've seen of, you know, somebody coming in brand new. Jericho returns coming out with Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti and brings up. Their, uh, his match with Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom 14 in 2020. Jericho says Moxie is only there because I wasn't here last week. Brings up spiking him in the eye several years ago, beating Tanahashi at the Tokyo Dome, and Tanahashi interrupts, telling him to shut up. So with that, Jericho sends the Jericho Appreciation Society down, and as they charge the ring, in appears Lance Archer and El Desperado, of Suzuki Gun to attack Tanahashi and Moxley with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Jericho officially announces Guevara and Conti as members of the Jericho Appreciation Society and says that Desperado and Archer were loaned to him by Minoru Suzuki. And at Forbidden Door, he will team with Minoru Suzuki and Sammy Guevara against Wheeler Yuta, Shota Umino, which... I immediately tied back because that was, you know, where he attacked Umino right in front of Red Shoes and, and Jericho brought this up right, right after that and Eddie Kingston. So an interesting six man tag. And then Kingston ran down here with Yuta, the bald Ortiz and Santana. And it ends with Tana hitting a sling blade onto Desperado. And the segment ends the way it started with Moxley and Tanahashi alone in the ring. So you had quite a lot to get through in this segment, but we uh, set up the six man here. I thought all of, all of this was a bit messy at the end, you know, and maybe that's just me like being used to watching professional wrestling where like, Oh, uh, it's five men are in the ring at the same time. Five men are going to have the match here. It's like 20 men are, are in the ring and uh, three other people that you're not seeing on TV are going to be in the match. 
Um, so it, it takes a lot of, I think, you know, the viewer, uh, paying attention, going online afterwards or having the commentators kind of really like explain to you exactly what's going to happen. I didn't think it was the cleanest, like from what we can tell here, the only reason why Archer and Desperado were a part of this was to be a representative of Minoru Suzuki. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's it. And then, um, I guess they, you know, for some reason couldn't get Shota or, or, um, Wheeler Yuta to be a part of this, but, uh, basically it's, you know, Jericho and Suzuki and Sammy taking on John Moxley's friends. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, you had, uh, Yuta, Kingston and, uh, and Shooter. Yeah. 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 Which is fine. I just wish, wish there was a bit of a cleaner way of, you know, getting to that announcement. I, I think Jericho did a pretty good job of like tying in the things with, with Umino and stuff. Like you are, um, like, I think this audience is probably more aware of some of these connections than, than others, but you have to be cognizant of others that, um, may, maybe don't understand, like the Umino connection, but you had a lot you had to get across here. And I do have some, uh, understanding of that. Like there, suddenly we have, we have two here. shows and they had a lot of angles to shoot to set up this card for next week. Like, I'm feeling like there are people who might not know who think El Desperado is Minoru Suzuki or something like that. <laughs> You know, you have a lot, just maybe, and this is tricky because you're trying to reintroduce a, a whole stable, a whole new uh, roster to a different audience. But I just thought it was one too many things all in the middle of this Tanahashi Moxley segment as well. Well, I, th- I thought like, dude, they, they put Desperado on an airplane. I thought at the very least he would be on Rampage this week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe he's sticking around. I'm sure he's sticking around, but, um, yeah, I thought maybe we'd get him on Rampage, but no, uh, Darby Allen does a promo, uh, off of Red Dragon here and talking about Sting getting attacked by Kyle O'Reilly and Darby's going to break Bobby Fish's leg on Rampage. So tune in to see a man's leg break. Fish Fridays. I love it. They Fish keep Fridays. Them, they should keep Bobby Fish only on Rampage. Fish Fridays. Tony Schiavone interviewed Tony Storm who addressed Brittany and said that you're a dentist. That means you study and that you know things. I dropped out of school, but I'm not stupid enough to play the games that you are. I'm going to take the women's division to where it should be. People have seen you as champion. Now they want to see me as champion. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if Tony Storm's like promos have really kind of like, you know, lit everybody's world on fire since she's uh, really at all ever. Um, but I thought she sounded pretty good in this. It was one where like they noticeably used B-roll to cover. So I wonder right. if there was some editing there. But I mean, I, go go for it. Like, why not? Especially if you only have 20 seconds you know that you're giving people to like this could have been seven minutes yeah so (laughs) yeah trim down that's fine ethan page representing hamilton took on bulgaria's miro in the all-atlantic qualifier uh with uh dan lambert in ethan page's corner and miro without god so excalibur explains the new japan matches coming up at new japan road over the next week that will determine the new japan representative in the uh fatal four-way at forbidden door and then next week penta will take on malachi black and Giovanni and JR were just like, great. Like, boy. We're going to get Yoshinobu Kanemaru against Tomohiro Ishii and then Clark Connors takes on Tomoki Hanma. Yeah. We didn't get the big segment tonight. They let Excalibur, they, like, breathe. I feel like they've kind of learned from, like, maybe, you know, shoving too much into those segments. They're like, guys, um, I'm on the brink of laryngitis. So if you wanted me to get through this pay-per-view in a couple weeks, give me a break. So Lambert is mocking Miro from the floor and then Miro goes after him. It's a ploy. Page gets the advantage. Miro then gets sent into the steps and 
Paige is yelling at Miro, pray to me, as he's putting Miro's hands together, and Miro will not have any of this. He stands up, dumps him with suplexes. The fans are cheering. Spinning heel kick, knocks Lambert off the apron, stomp to the back, game over, and Hamilton comes up short. Hamilton is not going for the All-Atlantic Championship. Mm. They couldn't oh. They couldn't swim in the deep waters of the All-Atlantic finalists. Well, they still got the Tiger Cats. Aren't they doing well? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Is the I'm CFL sure. doing well? Uh, great question. I don't know. But, uh, hey, I like Ethan Page a lot. I thought this was a great performance from him. Uh, some very, you know, captivating, annoying heel personality here. Um, always, I think, if, I think he played with this, like, God stuff really well with Miro in the lead up to this and also in the match itself. Uh, but Miro, man, that charisma, that intensity just really pops out of the screen. This crowd went nuts for him and he all of a sudden feels pretty hot again. Yeah, and it, it, I think there's going to be a, a high expectation level for this four-way at the at the event. Dante Martin and Matt Seidel, our favorite duo, uh, are warning John Moxley that a new star will be born on Friday. Dante is going to beat John Moxley, so you heard it here first. And then he, what? He's going to challenge Tanahashi? You think? Um, AEW uh, interim champion? Don't ex- don't ask me to explain how j- jumping the line works in AEW. I don't know how that would work. I don't think I don't think that's a problem okay. that they will be presenting us on Friday. The Britt inhuman ba- Dante Martin is what he's going by. Inhuman Dante Martin? Yeah. Okay. So he's not human. Uh yeah. He's not. Okay. That that's strange. No. Well, what humans can do what he does. Dr. Britt Baker <laughs> and Tony Storm. I don't have anything to add, guys. I'm 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 like a three on that scale. <laughs> Britt Baker and Tony Storm, Rebel distracted the referee. Too many distractions, okay? Like, the people on the apron, like, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's just, it's lazy at times. The, well, the, the hair versus people. hair match, it was there for a big, big spot with Eddie Kingston and then with uh with Fuego, Sammy. Cool. But then we got, like, a bunch of them on this show from, like, Dan Lambert to Rebel and then Hater here. They have a big roster, and, and then double the size if you include this New Japan stuff, right? So everybody needs a role on the show. And sometimes what if what if every match you're allowed one run in? There's enough managers. It's like okay, you get a run in, use it wisely. Even that's too much. Then you you have people abusing that. I mean, it rarely it leads to the finish. It usually ends leads to a false finish. So use it wisely. So anyway, she's distracting the referee. Thunder Rosa runs down and warns Jamie Hader as they go to picture in picture. Storm comes back, tornado DDT to the floor, and then Baker uh, regains control, tries for the lockjaw, and is stopped with a German suplex, spike pile driver, and Tony Storm gets her victory, pinning Britt Baker and stares down Thunder Rosa, and that will be the women's title match at Forbidden Door. Yeah, so we are getting a women's match. In the New Japan versus AEW. The, the uh, women got a key to the door on June 26th. They did. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think it's a big match. You know, um, uh, I, I I felt like watching this. I mean, it was really, to me, it was a good match. But it just kind of felt like the, it was them giving Tony Storm her win back. You know, after losing to Britt Baker in the Owen. And it continues to make us question, what was the reason why <laughs> Britt Baker won the Owen Cup? Why? Yeah, I, I don't have a great answer. It drew this out for a couple more weeks, but I think this could have been more impactful if Tony just won the tournament outright and you could have built yeah. this in a, in a more unique way. Um, but they went this direction. So, and, and what value is the Owen Cup after this? Good question. Did you have the belt tonight? 
I don't think so. No, she Cole didn't. didn't have Not, it. Yeah, so maybe it's you keep it for two weeks and you got to return it. Maybe they, maybe they, uh, they've retired those belts to Tony's office, and uh, you know they got to make room for this All Atlantic Championship. I think in both Britt and Cole's case, you know, it calls the question like, how much foresight did they have in you know picking the Owen Cup winners, or was it just the photo op that they wanted with with the couple winning the championship at the end? Is it is it all that is? Yeah, I mean, they kind of made it almost like Cole won the tournament and he felt he was owed this IWGP title match, but we'll get to that. That did not secure him the, the anything. So mm. it's kind of, at least as of now, it hasn't led to anything for the, for the winners. It was just like this um, enclosed tournament that has no repercussions. Stokely Hathaway announces he will be on commentary Friday as Jade Cargill will hold an open challenge. And it's been answered by Willow Nightingale, who comes in and she's asked if she wants to be a baddie. But she's here to prove herself, accepts the open challenge. And Stokely says that that's crazy as hell, Wilma, and walks out. Nice to see Nightingale get some uh, mic time on Dynamite. She's got a lot of personality. So, um she comes um, across like very like a ton of personality, and this yeah. was only like a minute segment. But the you know the audiences have gotten into her whenever she's come up for like AEW spots or ROH. Like the audience, they gravitate mm-hmm. towards her. So this should be a a fun match on Friday. Yeah, latest person to be fed to Jade. But I mean, every time I think we see Jade on TV with a, a different talent of varying levels of uh, ability, it's it's a test to see like you know how how far she's come along. So, yeah. Hangman Page comes out and he said he called his shot last week and wanted a match with Okada and also wanted to challenge him for the IWGP title. But he didn't take into account that Okada might not still be champion and uh, he screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's you don't call your shots like that. Come I on. I guess not. What a what a fool. So the challenge still stands, he said. Adam Cole interrupts, calling him a stupid cowboy. The, cha- the challenge still stands for the IWGP champion or Okada? He just said the challenge still stands. I took that to mean for Okada. Yeah, me too. Because he never named Jay White here. He just said that there mm-hmm. was a new champion. So Adam Cole comes out, congratulates Jay White, and says that Paige won't challenge for that title at Forbidden Door. Only he will be challenging for the title. So Forbidden Door is about the Undisputed Elite. And it's about the Bullet Club. And the best way to show that is Jay White versus Adam Cole. And notes Okada won't even be there. And the crowd booed. They were not happy with this. And this never got rescinded. This was never changed. And you were left to believe Okada is not doing this show. I mean, a heel is saying that, though, right? Well, to me, if Okada is wrestling on this show, I think you would have wanted to make it clear. After this show, I guess I think he wanted to make Jay White's opponent clear as well after this. But that, that I would say so either. as well. I would say so, too. Um, but or Brian Danielson, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. We got none of that. We got yeah. no follow up to the Zack Sabre Jr. challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And so anyway, Jay White comes out and he hits. He comes from behind Hangman and hits him with the Blade Runner. He is the catalyst of professional wrestling. The mm-hmm. catalyst. He's and the one responsible. Him. He's the one responsible for um, Kenny Omega going to AEW and AEW thus becoming a success. And he, he made all of this possible. He tells Hangman, you couldn't beat CM Punk. You lost your AEW title and I'm 2-0 and against you. I will not defend the title against you. And Adam Cole, you can hear him. He's celebrating. He thinks that process of elimination means him. And Jay White says, I won't be facing you either. I hold the power. This is the Switchblade era. 
So I guess you can end this in multiple ways. And I guess a four way is possible, but mm. I would say I would not have wanted to leave this open ended by the end of this show. Like we're, yeah. I just feel this, this would have had the most impact on this show. Like you can mm. tape a segment on Rampage. I think that'll be a lot less uh, impactful. And then we're going into next week. So. I, I don't know. I, I didn't like this segment all that much. To be Next week is go, is the go-home week, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, do you want to make the announcement with, what, three, four days to go before the pay-per-view, you know, for, for, for a match that's supposed to be this big? I certainly don't think so. I would have at least left this segment with something. It didn't – It this was also a little confusing because, like, you had the segment ending with, like, JR and, and – was it Excalibur saying, like – like, they were basically saying, like – what were they confirming that Jay, Jay White was going to defend? Like they they ended the segment as if it was like, wow, what a great announcement! Like, but nothing was announced. Not you know? nothing was announced. He said he's not defending it against either of these two. Right. So, um, I I mean, I think there's you know probably the intent of creating some sort of mystery about whether or not Okada is actually going to be there, uh, and maybe they've created that. But I I feel like at this point though, like the teasing should kind of subside and and you should be you know telling everybody what they're going to be paying for yeah i i didn't think they made it um e- even subtle here that you were left with the idea of like okada very well may be on this show but i would say like if you're just watching this i think you would have just taken it that like okay he's probably not yeah, i don't know if that's the feeling you want from people they they either are just but not there's going no to- way they would have had page say that though challenge okada if he wasn't going to be if you weren't going to get that match or yeah, well, maybe you're getting the four-way but to me i think you could have just set it up here i, I don't think this is uh the best way to be going about about this thing i they just could be setting up for like an okada appearance and maybe he doesn't fly in until next week you could do yeah. the angle next week and then the three of them are all arguing and then okada makes his big arrival on tv and the, yeah. and the place goes wild so Rampage on Friday is going to have Jade Cargill against Willow Nightingale, Dante Martin against John Moxley, the Gun Club and Max Castor will be in a trios match, Bobby Fish against Darby Allen, and Swerve and Keith Lee, we will hear from them. Mm-hmm. And then Dynamite next week, they have announced Malachi Black and Penta, and Will Ospreay and Aussie Open against Trent Beretta, Rocky Romero, and Orange Cassidy uh, are the two matches announced so far. Main event, ladder match for the tag titles, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against the Young Bucks. And this was just a crazy match. There are tables set up on the floor, and we saw Jungle Boy leap over the top and send Matt through a table off the apron with a Rana. Then he goes to the other side to do the same to Nick, but Nick catches Jungle Boy and power bombs him through the table. Nick then gets caught on top by Luchasaurus, but turns it into a destroyer, and Nick proceeds to place Luchasaurus on a table and come off the top turnbuckle with a 450, putting Luchasaurus through this table on the floor. That was our setup for a commercial break. It's it, This was that type of match. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The Bucks then stack up the tables on the floor with the four of them. So, you know, someone's going to plunge through that. They come back and they're going to launch Jungle Boy over the top, but he avoids it, goes for a Cabrada into a double super kick upside down from the Bucks. Luchasaurus chokeslams Nick onto a ladder and then all four end up fighting in the center of the ring on two ladders. Luchasaurus knocks them down, but Bucks uh, grab him and throw him onto a ladder. Matt does the crazy elbow off the top through Luchasaurus on the floor through a table. And then Jungle Boy is alone on the main ladders with the Bucks who try for a BTE trigger on the ladder. 
Jungle Boy avoids by tipping the ladder with the two bucks on them. But then they tip Jungle Boy. Nick comes up and he's got this bloody nose. Luchasaurus gets tipped off the main ladder and he crashes through those four tables and he's done. The Bucks climb and they grab the tag titles. New tag champions, the Young Bucks. Incredible ladder match. Um, one that I immediately felt, thank goodness, the Hardys uh, aren't a part of this. because I can't God. imagine. I cannot imagine Oof. what they would have done in this. They went all out here, like, um, and no pun intended, because this could have been on all out. This was like the, the, the amount of like tables that were broken, the amount of spots that they delivered was very much a pay-per-view level match. And you expect nothing less, I think, from this combination of, of guys. Um, it was quite the incredible TV match. And, you know, if you're going to end a title reign, I feel like it was, <laughs> I mean, they had to live up to people's expectations, you know, and, and this was very satisfying as far as ladder matches go. Yeah, and uh, this was the time for the big angle afterwards. Christian Cage is checking on Luchasaurus while Doc Sampson is in the ring with Jungle Boy. Cage then enters the ring and goes to help uh, Sampson carry Jungle Boy out. And as Jungle Boy is about to go through the ropes, he grabs him, kill switch, and the place goes nuts. And he brings the chairs in, concerto, and then takes off his leather jacket and dumps it onto Jungle Boy's head. Finally got it. These are the kinds of turns I enjoy the most. The ones that are, you know, they're coming, but the surprise is when is it going to happen? It's not Mm. this came out of nowhere or, oh, he turned on Luchasaurus after teasing he would turn on Jungle Boy. You knew this was happening. You could watch all the the subtle things and then the not so subtle things. And it was always the when's it going to happen? And when it happened, what happened? You got a giant pop. You didn't get, oh, we all saw this coming. Everyone saw this coming, but they didn't know when. And mm-hmm. those, to me, are the turns that are the, the most effective for me. And I really enjoyed this. Considering how subtle I think you know they, they've been with this turn um, in in comparison to other pro wrestling angles, this like final like execution of it was like really I think quite simple. Um, guy loses, you know. Guy attacks him from behind, hits his finisher, hits the, hits the one man concerto. And that's your closing image. And at this point, I think that's all everybody needs. You know, we know that the, the, the program we're going to, to now, we're going to hear Christian be his best heel self, cut a hell of a promo on Jungle Boy. And hopefully this will be the thing that'll take Jungle Boy to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. This should be a huge singles program for, and, and, and for Christian Jungle Boy. too. Yeah. I mean, he's had very limited matches uh, throughout mm-hmm. this, this whole um, tag run with, with, Jurassic Express. So I really like the angle at the end. It was something uh, very notable. This was the time to do it. And yeah, a a spectacular ladder match. Um, frightening at times, but I mean, my God, it was a it was a spectacle. Spectacle. Yeah, and that's that's what they want to sh- close these shows off with, right? Um, but wrestling wise, I thought it was really a pretty great show. You know, between this and Dax and Osprey, uh, hair versus hair match, I thought was really strong as well. Some messiness, I think, in some of the match announcements for Forbidden Door. Um, but, you know, that's that's one of the weaknesses, I would say, of AEW is like presentation and layout and maybe, you know, a tendency to cram a little too much and maybe not all all, all the necessary things into into the show. Wardlow seems to be getting some mixed reaction. You know, the, the one on 20 thing. I'm I'm hopeful of what the next step is now that this thing like it's not like this Sterling thing dragged out for two months that I think really would have watered him down. I don't think this feud has been a positive, but 
it feels like it's over. And I hope now there is something big. And maybe you hold them off next week. Wait till Forbidden Door is done and you have something big with Wardlow for a summer program. Because I see him very high up there in terms of your priorities going into the summer. Because he was coming up on such a high off double or nothing. And the audience is still with him. I, I don't think that's the case. But oh, yeah. He needs something focused and the TNT title program. Maybe that will be it. And maybe that's not going to be so long. Like maybe it's just going to be as simple as you build up to the match and he wins the championship. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, I think so. I, at this point, maybe something a bit more straightforward is, is exactly what he needs. Maybe Jorge Masvidal is going to show up. Maybe that's, that's who he's going to have to contend with. He'll have to go through ATT. <laughs> you think a one on 20 versus with Wardlow versus ATT? Maybe, probably not happening. Maybe, maybe less chance of that happening. Um, I, I did enjoy this episode more than, than last week's as well. There was a lot on this show. I can, yeah. I can imagine that a lot of the, the details might have been, uh, lost and people would be confused about what, what matches are happening when and what the setups were for all the forbidden door stuff. Um, but all of a sudden, like you have, you have one more dynamite to set up this show. And yeah, I totally forgot about the Danielson Zack Saber Jr. stuff. And that was, I'm very surprised that not only was there no response from Danielson, but not even a reference of the challenge. Um, mm. that was odd. So again, that challenge came, came from what, like a press conference, like a yes. post match press conference that people would have had to go to YouTube to see. Nonetheless, it's been making the rounds. People would have been aware of it. I'm also guessing maybe they're waiting for either one or both of the the two to be in town to maybe do the segment. You know, maybe that might be the case. We're running out of time. I would want to, I mean, I guess they're looking at it. Hey, we've, we've sold out the arena. And if we make that announcement, it only needs a couple of days notice and people are going to be into the match if Mm -hmm. if we announce it. But yeah, I was surprised they didn't at least air the, the segment from, from Zach. Um, so a lot of people are buzzing in the chat room right now, John, and maybe we should just at least mention this. We haven't had a time to to look into it, but Raj Giri of Wrestling Inc. is saying that he, I am hearing Sasha Banks has been released. I don't know if it's requested or if it was on WWE's end. Uh, obviously, we haven't had time to look into it, but um, I'm sure, John, you will follow up tomorrow uh, and on the site if anything breaks. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, keep tabs on that. Um, all right. All right, I'm going to go to feedback forum.postwrestling.com where Bruce Lord has this to say about tonight's AEW Dynamite. While it was great to have Osprey and Tanahashi in such high-profile spots on American television, I feel as though this episode raised as many questions about Forbidden Door as it answered, which is an odd position to be in 11 days out from the pay-per-view. Is Okada legitimately not going to be on the show? Is Zack Sabre Jr. Danielson still in the works? What were Archer and Despy doing on the show if they had no match to be announced for? It feels a bit petty to be complaining about there being too many open possibilities remaining on an interpromotional dream card, let alone after an episode which had two four-star matches. But it would, it would be nice to give these matches time to percolate via the great sit-down and video package treatments AEW is capable of putting together. Also, sign Willow Nightingale, Tony. She's as natural and likable a babyface as you'll find. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing about dynamite in particular dynamite it's like it it is not tailored for those kinds of segments like long sit downs and video packages like it's just as much wrestling content as much in-ring content um that that we can put in here like even that face-to-face segment that's very unlike dynamite to have that much of a non um match segment on the show um I think they could benefit from it. I really enjoyed when they had a, a habit of doing those Jim Ross sit downs. JR is, the, is great at them. 
I think those were tremendous. And I would, I would want to sprinkle those in. And yeah, if, if your viewership drops slightly, I, I think that that does have a greater value of building something up. And, you know, you, you've brought it up and I certainly watched NXT with that eye as well that you cannot fault the, the amount of work and video packages that they put into a lot of these characters. So at the very least, you have a, a one line description of who this person is. What is their deal? Whether they're uh, a spoiled rich brat with a rich dad or ordering coffee and some guy's loud or wanting his food. I mean, mm-hmm. they have weird things that fuel them, but we at least know what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I I definitely think for Forbidden Door they could you know maybe benefit from t- taking the New Japan approach, which is just like, hey, here's the card. Like you know we've we've seen we see some teases, but some things we don't even see teases at all. And here are the matches, and it almost feels like what the show like Forbidden Door, where you don't have all the talent on hand to you know promote these matches to build storylines for. That in some ways might be the better way to go. But uh, yeah, we'll see how the the, the rest of these uh, big big matches. We'll see how they announce. Do you want to do the next one, John? Um, yeah. Noah from Vaughn writes, from an in-ring perspective, I've <clears throat> I thought the show tonight had three really great matches. Uh, super exciting to see Christian turn heel and the Young Bucks holding the tag titles once again. Osprey and Orange Cassidy is a match I never thought about before tonight, but I'm super looking forward to it. 8.5 out of 10. Uh, because somebody remind, m- reminded me in the chat room, uh, shout out to the person wearing the post-wrestling shirt in the front row as well. He was all over the uh, the, the, the the show tonight. So Great seats. For- Great seats. Hope you had a great time, and thank you for representing us. Kate from Montreal says, Dax Harwood should be in the conversation for every wrestler of the year list, but I have a a feeling that he won't get the praise he deserves because he's normally a tag wrestler. He does not miss, and the match with Osprey was just one more in an amazing run. Both Guevara and Christian turns worked for me. Sammy got fed up with the inner circle, but never had a huge falling out with Jericho, and Christian ditching Jurassic Express after they lose a belt. Makes more sense than having him betray them while they were on top. He looks like a sleazy opportunist, having first attached to himself when uh, Jungle Boy became the number one contender against Kenny Omega. I'm guessing that we're getting Danielson versus Jay White at Forbidden Door, since that's the biggest match available to them. Although I would love to see Danielson versus Zack Sabre. From what I can see, I think I'm the only person who was pretty certain that Okada isn't coming to Forbidden Door was a work. Is there any word that he is injured? No, no word that he's injured. No. Um, yeah, not to my knowledge. And the man loves in and out. Do they have? Oh, maybe that's the difference maker. Do they have in and out in Chicago? Uh, they must, don't they? Hmm. I thought it was just a West Coast thing. Oh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask. Hmm. Hey, how about that idea though? Um, Jay White versus Brian Danielson. Could that be possible? So why do you do the Zach thing? Why, why even throw that out there? I mean, Zach has been name dropping Brian this whole time, but. Yeah, I mean, do we know that Zach was acting on behalf of, you know, AEW and Ghetto and Tony Khan's booking, or was it just him? That would be pretty, that'd head? be a pretty, um, I'd be pretty pissed if one of my wrestlers did that when we're building up a show and you're teasing a match that's like a match people have been wanting for, for a long time. Um, I, yeah, I agree. I would have a real hard time imagining that you're just throwing that out there without, uh, a reason for it. I agree. I agree. Uh, Muggen writes, Harwood and Osprey was the match of the night until Bucks and Jurassic Express blew it out of the water. Um, the hair versus hair match got me good with the false finishes and the build for Forbidden Door couldn't, could have been handled better. I haven't seen any news regarding Zach Danielson or even Okada. Khan's jam, pa- jam packing habit 
reared its head at the expense of Moxley Tanahashi, and I wasn't keen about the six-man tag being announced during the segment. Storm and Baker being done so soon after the Owen Cup does make it reek of 50-50 booking. Mm -hmm. A lot of sentiments we shared as well from our uh, patrons. So thank you guys for uh, leaving your feedback. You can do that every single uh, one of these reviews at forum.postwrestling.com if you're a postwrestling cafe patron where you can now listen to Rewind Away, number 112. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about uh, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, John Cena versus AJ Styles, uh, way back in 2016 where, man, the world was completely different. Yes, uh, we went through all of the news from that week and uh, recapped uh... – a very interesting Money in the Bank show uh, with some stellar matches and some totally forgettable ones as well to balance it all out. So um, if you're a member at postwrestlingcafe.com, $6 uh, gets you in the door for the entire month uh, with access to all of our bonus shows uh, with upcoming ones this week, including MCU Later, covering Episode 2 of Ms. Marvel, uh, Rewind to SmackDown every Friday night at 11 Eastern, and then Sunday night, cafe members will get a bonus show from me uh, reviewing Slammiversary from Nashville, Tennessee, that will feature Josh Alexander and our guest today, Eric Young, in the main event for the Impact Championship. So all of that is coming your way this weekend. Uh, also, um, the Cubs fan at Lucha Blog uh, will be doing a report on the site Saturday covering the Triple Mania event, uh, which it was stated Matt Hardy will be on the show, and I guess they will be providing some update on what is happening in the main event with Dragon Lee and Dralistico. So that's going to wrap things up. I am back Thursday at 1 Eastern. Brandon Thurston will join me off the top, and we will go through the latest uh, involving the Vince McMahon story and the uh, the many uh, the many subjects that that story brings up. And then Way, uh, you will get to hear him on the wellness policy at 3 p.m. Eastern time uh, as he will be chatting about the film Out in the Ring. Correct. That's right. We'll be joined by the director. Uh, it's a film about LGBTQ plus professional wrestlers. Uh, so I encourage everybody to, if you, even if you haven't seen the film, have a listen to the conversation and, and about the topic itself. It'll be me, Jordan Goodman, and our man, Neil Flanagan. So that'll be up at three o'clock Eastern time for post wrestling cafe patrons. I'll probably send a link out there to everybody on my Twitter as well. So look for that. All right. That's going to wrap it up and, uh, we'll chat with you, uh, later on this week and maybe we will, uh, preview the, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. Oh, yes, in Montreal. Gilles uh, Villeneuve. Yes, that, that is correct. Hopefully Ferrari can rebound this weekend. That is it. And, and hopefully Mercedes uh, won't be rebounding too much from the ground. They're oh, porpoising yeah. issues. Porpoising. Porpoising is Damn. very much in the news right now. Yeah. Okay, I'm exhausted. Good night.